You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash filmschool. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new film, Must Read After My Death, our guest today, director Morgan Dews, transforms his grandmother's cache of secret film and audio recordings into a documentary revealing a dark family history from the 1960s in an America on the verge of dramatic transformation. Must Read After My Death, which opens this Friday, February 27th, at Lemley Sunset 5 in West Los Angeles, is his first feature film. Morgan Dews, welcome to Film School. Thank you so much. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. It's a really beautiful sunny day in New York. All um, right. And we're coming out to L.A. Uh, for the opening on Friday, and I'll be doing uh, Q&A Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at the, at the Sunset 5. The Lemley Sunset really Five, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, They do a lot of great. Now, we you mentioned off air that uh, Barry Jenkins was on last week, oh, yeah. and and he did a Q and A with uh, Wyatt Cenac over there last week as well. So it's great to see filmmakers out supporting their films, and it's great to see that there's a place that they can do it. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's really great for us too to talk to audiences because you know you spend so long uh, working on a film, sort of. In isolation, um, with the always with the goal that that you that, that it's a kind of communication with the audience. So it's really great when you get to hear how they respond to it. Yes, and this film, especially, I imagine, could be called a film that you worked on in isolation. In in yeah. that, uh, you know, all the actors. I mean, it, it was it was filmed uh, forty years, fifty years ago. Mm-hmm. I, so you're you're looking at your family in uh, a whole new light. You you found uh, uh, in storage audio and uh, uh, visual recordings from the 1960s that your grandmother had stashed away. Uh, how, how did you come across them? Can you tell that story? Sure. Um, you know, that's a funny thing. I grew up with all the 8mm films, um, mm-hmm. and there were about 200 little boxes of them. Um, and those were always... Um, Kind of, I, I could, you know, I had free reign to set up the projector and watch those kind of anytime I wanted, uh, anytime I was visiting my grandmother's house. Um, but that was about the only um, insight I had into what it was like for my mother growing up uh, during the 50s because my grandmother kind of refused to talk about it, and so did my mother and my uncles. They were, you know, it was a very dark period of their life, and, and they just talked around it. So, um, so. I always had those films, and I knew just how beautiful they are. I yeah. mean, I mean, you know, all old films wind up just looking fabulous. Um, can, can I just interrupt you for a second on those films? There's one shot, especially that uh, it's. I believe that it's. Uh, it's not Douglas. I think it was Bruce, and and, and it, it he's distorted. It's near the end of the film. Is this mm-hmm. for about five or six seconds. Was that shot through some leaded glass? Is that how that yeah. ha- happened? No, actually, you just miss it. You know, the, the, some of the best footage was just the kids playing around and making, like, trick films. So uh. that's actually a shot where they had, like, somebody was holding a window in front of the camera, uh. and they threw a bucket of water at it oh. while they were shooting through oh. the roof. So, <laughs> so it's this crazy, um, you know, it's like a, it's like a comedy uh, sequence where the, the camera gets doused. Yeah. Um, and there were actually a bunch of um, trick photos where, like, 
chairs would disappear and yeah. the dog would appear and you know, a kid <laughs> would be sitting down in the chair it disappears he falls down uh there's another one where they they got the bicycle chasing douglas around the yard um and of course that's all stuff that didn't really fit too well into the story that i found in these audio recordings so yeah. um i'm actually quite i'm working on the dvd now and it's sort of including a little bit more of levity oh excellent because those those were uh, just just wonderful films. I mean, from the, it's not just about your family. It's about the setting, and it's it's about the mood of the film too. And you you did a real good job of pairing it up with the uh, the audio recordings that you found. Thanks so much. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, like I was going to say, the audio recordings kind of came uh, out of the blue, and it was um, it was actually um, um, friends of the family that told me about them when I when I kind of just broached the subject that I was I was. I had the films and I wanted to make something. I said, oh, well, you must be using those crazy tape recordings that, you know, your grandmother made. <laughs> um, and I was like, well, what are you talking about? Um, and, you know, that, then that's how I found the diaries. Um, actually, Bruce uh, found all the uh, dictaphone records, mm-hmm. which are those really beautiful, you know, records between, you know, Charlie, my grandfather, and Alice, my grandmother, and, and all the kids. Um, and also kind of, let out of the bag that they had a an open marriage. Um, yes. <laughs> so that was, you know, that was, but I mean, I remember listening to all those because, you know, Bruce sent all of us these tapes and, and the next time I saw my mother, I, I said to her, I said, Dis, you know, did, did Alice and Charlie have an open marriage? And she kind of looked at me in shock and she said, you didn't know? <laughs> and I just thought, no, I didn't. It was funny the way they expressed their... Uh... Their openness by saying uh, they felt young again. Yeah. Whenever they yeah. had an affair, they yeah, felt Charlie young. had a number of euphemisms for yes. for his his uh, dalliances, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Well, that was my favorite, and that was uh, it was good to feel young again. Yeah. And feel young again meant uh, have sex. Yes. And it was just. <laughs> it was just. You know, it was crazy because I kept coming across that. And I just thought, wow, that is so priceless. Well, we're speaking with Morgan Dews. The film is Must Read After My Death. And uh, the the film, um, well, well, when I mean, obviously you saw, as you said, you saw a lot of these 8mm films. Uh, you went over and you play them. And the, the, uh, the, the image, the, the impression you got from those must have really been jarring to hear the recordings and, and to read the diaries that, uh, that oh, Alice kept. Oh, yeah. So... And uh, I mean that's kind of the essence of the film. You see this facade, really, right, right, of happiness exactly. and and family, uh, a very cl- apparently close knit family, mm-hmm. but then these the uh, the everything else uh, points in the in a completely different direction. Now, uh, how I, jarring I mean, was that for you? Just oh, a, sort of on an emotional level. To, to, oh, it to, was. Well, I mean, I knew uh, the you know about the broad strokes of what had happened to Bruce, and that he had been wrongly sent to this mental institution. Uh, and I knew broadly about that, uh, but that's about all I knew. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I had kind of gleaned from these these uh, films that they had, you know, just an absolutely marvelous life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what my mother had told me. She told me she had a, a really incredibly great childhood. Um, I, I don't know if that's really true, and I think when I when I found these tapes, I really got uh, an opposite view. Um, but the thing is, the, the films are all uh, are mostly uh, from the '50s, and the tapes are mostly from the '60s. Uh-huh. So, in a way, I was like forced into juxtaposing these because 
I didn't have any audio material from the happy days, and I didn't have any uh, visual material from the dark days. Mm-hmm. So in a, in a way, I mean, you know, that's a, I mean, that's kind of my theory about the fifties is that you're this is they're juxtaposing this kind of lineup, put on a happy face, everything's perfect um, facade that you're forced to present to the exterior world with what's going on inside and the pressure that that creates you to inside of it. You know, I think pretty much everybody in that time uh, to lead a double life and to sort of hide whatever dissent they might have had. Yeah. No. Well, just uh, you just mentioned Bruce. How was it when you knew, I mean, you knew, obviously you said uh, that you knew that he had been institutionalized at some point early in his life. Uh, what was it like then, and, and I'm sure that w- within your family there must have been a, a perception, a, 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 a sense of him ha- having gone through that. Um, and, uh, you know, and families are often cruel. Did, w- was, was what you thought of him... Before you found out about the the family circumstances, did it change your perception of Bruce once you realized what he had gone through as as a, a youngster, as a young man? Or well, young boy? I think you know. I just have to say that Bruce is far and away the sanest person in my family, uh, including myself. Um, so I, I think even growing up, I I think that story was always told with a sort of uh, you know of clear consciousness of the. Of the injusticeness, in the of the crazy injustice of of all of my family sending Bruce to a mental institution. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was just clearly never added up. And anytime anybody would talk about that, you know, people would just kind of shrug and say, "Well, yeah, it's not nuts." Um, given and, that, given uh, that perception, he was the most rational, sane person in the family. Right, and and then also just that the you know. Um, uh, you know, my mother told me, uh, I mean, my mother uh, studied uh, spiritual uh, therapy, and she said, you know, this is a classic situation of the designated patient, um, where in a dysfunctional unit of any kind, uh, you know, it's the unit that's dysfunctional. It's a very complex uh, relationship of roles that people take on. But it's very easy to point to one and say, okay, it's his fault, um, much exactly like a scapegoat. Um, and really, you know, Bruce was uh, a teenager. He was like a middle child. He was acting up. You know, in the tapes, the shrink said, Charlie, you know, just don't talk to him. Don't respond to him if he talks to you, um, which is so counterintuitive and yeah. crazy. Yeah, um, I, I, the, but in, in a strange way, you know, the, I have to say that, that the Hartford Institute for Living is, was, was at the time the premier uh, mental institution. Um, and, and I'm thoroughly convinced that it was a better place for Bruce to be than at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly you can look at that and say, my God, why didn't they send him to an aunt or an uncle or to boarding school? Um, I mean, why didn't they realize that what's going to help this kid is to get him out from this battlefield that, you know, his parents have created in the, in the house. <clears throat> but even, even, you know, the mental institution was, was a better place for him and really, you know, it was a place where he could grow up, and, and uh, you know, the, there might have been some crazy people in the mental institution, but they weren't all crazy, and they weren't running the show. In, in the meantime, you, your mother, I mean, your mother, your grandfather, and your grandmother are seeing a psychologist, a, a, a Theodore I. Len. Yeah. And, and he seemed to, to wow. be giving him all the wrong advice, oh, at least from yeah. my perspective, and it, it showed a kind of... Uh, it was like the chauvinist uh, psychologist. 
It seemed to it was, it was like a character of that of that era. He seemed yeah. to come across as that sort of the thing that you assumed was true, but you're hoping wasn't, which was completely reinforcing every negative stereotype of the, yeah. that era. And, and, and right. chose almost using the the uh, designated patient on on your uh, grandmother. Uh, zeroing yeah. in on her and, and making her the cause of all the ills of your family. Did you ever get a chance to look into uh, Dr. Len at all? I, mean, to... uh, I, I couldn't actually find much about him. I think he was uh, older than, than Alice and Charlie. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I can only assume that he's dead. And the last place that he crops up in the Internet is in the in the early 70s. He did a paper on uh, interfaith marriage for uh, um, a Jewish organization in Brooklyn. Uh-huh. Um you know, he was actually not, uh, he was trained, he was a doctor of social psychology. Um, wow. And, and, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the most, the crazy cautionary tale of this film is, is um, yeah. just that it's so impossible to remove yourself from the prejudices of your time. Yeah. You know, and so, and so in the course of showing this to audiences, it's become really clear to me that the, one of the major factors in this whole drama is Charlie's alcoholism. Yeah, um, yeah. But none of these professionals tell him that that'll be a problem. You know, I can <laughs> yeah. almost see Dr. Len pouring him a drink at the therapy session. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you it happened, but yeah. you know, he yeah. obviously yeah. didn't see it as a problem. You, you yeah. can almost see... I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, tell me again what's wrong with your wife as he pours a drink. Yeah, yeah. I, I, just, <laughs> I, just, I could see him sitting in some sort of Eames chair with their legs crossed, looking at each other. Yeah. Now, what are we going to do about your crazy wife? Yeah. You know, I mean, right. and, and, and right. they're having, a, having a, a Manhattan or something while they're talking about it. So, right. you know, I, I've, 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 always, I've said this for a long time, which about, you know, dysfunctional organizations reward dysfunction and they punish functionality. It's true. Yeah. They, that's why they're dysfunctional. They, they have the ability to reward dysfunction. It is, right. it, it's, the, it's the way it works. Uh, and... Uh, well, what has this done in terms of your relationship with your mother? I mean, how is making this film, and how has it been? Uh, has it oh, changed? You've changed the way you saw her, and she seemed to kind of get out early. I mean, she seemed to yeah. she wanted out, obviously, uh, and she yeah. got out early. Uh, what, what, how has this changed your relationship with your mother? Well, um, you know, it's it's a funny thing, like. Um you know, I have a great relationship with my mother, and I, I just feel like as I get older and, and further away from being a teenager, it just gets better and better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would definitely say that, you know, when I was 15 or 16, um, was like the low point of our relationship, but I, I think that's just completely normal. Um, but I think what it has done is it has given me a real insight to her um, childhood that I never really had. Um, mm-hmm. And I have to say that... that um, you know, we've talked about it a lot while I was making this film. And uh, she really is the one of the kids that um, that got out the easiest from the family because mm-hmm. she remembers more of the happy days, mm-hmm. um, which which basically everybody um, sort of puts the end of that date to when Charlie started drinking mm-hmm. uh, and when they moved to Hartford. Um, so she rem- has fond memories still of her father, which... I think the that Bruce and Doug, the younger children, don't really. Um, and also, she got out early. Um, it, my film kind of makes a solipsis, and because Alice is complaining that she's gone away with this kid um, to New York, and it's for the weekend. Like she runs away for the weekend with this kid. She's fifteen or sixteen. She actually didn't get married until a- after a year of college um, when she was twenty. So I, I mean, 
I don't want to give the, yeah. I mean, I never meant to give that impression. It was just that, um, you know, when I was making this film, I was so concentrated on representing the, the emotional truths that were happening mm-hmm. and, uh, and trying to keep the audience in, in that space so that really, if it wasn't a critical thing that I had to clear up, I just didn't want to have to come in myself and explain things. Right. Yeah. wanted to let people be with this family. So. We're speaking with Morgan Dews. The film is Must Read After My Death. Um, what do you think your, your grandmother, Alice, would have thought about this? Do you think this might have been her intent? Had she, had she lived to see this? Do you think this is where she was uh, going with leaving all this information behind? Um, I, I don't know. It's hard to say. I, I do know that I started working on the film uh, before I ever knew about her file. Yeah. So I mean, that worried me more because basically Alice, when she moved to Vermont, um, she um, started uh, preparing her paperwork. Like she went through all of her files and threw stuff away and packaged it. And and she really um, kind of organized all of her stuff. Uh, so I always thought, you know, that she would not have, you know, this is, was no oversight that this existed in the shed. Um but really, when I was about you know, mostly most of the way done with the rough cut, um, I got in touch with the woman that had helped her sort of every morning um, to to organize her stuff. She was kind of like a secretary and a friend for her. And she said, "Oh, well, there's this. Uh, you know, she said, oh, I think your grandmother would love that you're doing that.' And then she said, "Oh, and there's this file called the Must Read After My Death file, where she basically lays it all out, and your and your mother and your uncles had to read this." Um, so, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people about this, asked, asked a lot of people this question, and I think pretty much it comes down to the fact that I'm sure that Alice would be just tickled that she has the last word on this. No, no, <laughs> did I understand you correctly? Did, did you say that Alice basically insisted or, or, or had your mom and your uncles read this material? Did they? Yeah. They did. I mean, uh, they didn't read it all. They, I mean, that particular document is pretty toxic. Um, it's kind of like her federal case against Charlie. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I just wanted to kind of suggest that at the beginning of the movie so that you get an idea that, you know, that maybe she's not an entirely reliable narrator. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the, you know, beauties of a film like this is that there's not, you know, the only clear evil person there is Dr. Lin. Yeah. And everybody else is kind of muddling through um, and may or may not, you know, share responsibility in the in the terrible things that happen. Yeah, but one of the things about this film uh, that I, I really liked was not only you have this micro view of the family and all the dynamics involved there, but you also get a flavor for the, the sort of the changing uh, social perception of women's roles, the, the roles of, um, of a mom, and, and, and this sort of breaking down of this sort of patriarchy within American society and how... In some ways, uh, Alice was kind of in a vanguard of sorts in, se- in the sense that she was recognizing that there was something else in life and uh, sort of lamenting some of the choices that she had made along the way in, with, in regards to her marriage and things. And that come acro- comes across in the film, and I think it does a terrific job of framing all of that. Within the yeah. time. Within, within the time. Yeah. Thanks so much. I mean, I was so concerned about all that. Yeah, and and one of the things I've always I've thought about my in my own family situation <laughs> is to know about your mom and dad as younger before you knew them. Right. And and one of the more difficult transitions in life is I think is to see 
them beyond just being your mom and dad and seeing them as just people with all right. kinds of pluses and minuses. And I think this film is is a is a good primer for 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 how that how that actually yeah. works. How you right. do see them. Now, are are you getting distance from your family now that you see them on a screen and and you have to talk about them uh, as film subjects rather than as family members? Is there is there a different feeling about that end of your oh, family? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I tried really hard to just pretend that they were uh, that it was a box of somebody else's tapes that it was in fact fiction. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you have to imagine, um, you know, some of these. Some of these scenes are quite traumatic, and you know, some of them. I spent a couple months editing fight scenes, um, yeah. and it was just—it it was just horrible. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I—I tr- I mean, I don't know if you can ever do it, but I certainly, as a filmmaker, I tried to say, okay, these are characters, and and if I was writing a novel, what I would try to do is I would try to listen to my characters, and yeah. figure out who they are, and figure out what their stories are. Um, so I really, yeah, I really tried to just let them have their say, and 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 it took me a long time to kind of get rid of everything that I knew about the story and everything that I knew about my family and you know all my all of the kind of the history that I have and I still you know there's still a lot of mistakes in the film that I you know only recently cleaned up that were just because that's the way I had always heard the story yeah. you know yeah. uh, and so so I really tried very very hard for it to be yeah just the these characters in this box that it could have been somebody else's um family but of course with the awareness that you know i never would have been allowed access to this material or the use of it if uh my family didn't trust me if i wasn't you know part of the family um because certainly yeah. you know, it's a delicate issue that I, I'm, I'm trying to imagine if i stumbled across my mom's diary what it, what my reaction would be whether or not i'd even would i how would i would I read it? I mean, you know, what would that be like? And uh, just right. first, you'd read it. <laughs> well, I, I under, well, I'm, I mean, you know, the, this, it's, it's a very sort of naughty issue. I mean, as to how you, sure. how you, uh, are, are you, are you glad that you know this information? Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. Because, uh, because it explains so much. Yeah. And, um, and it, you know, I always think, um, it's funny, but any given, um, uh, sort of constellation of circumstances, you you assign meaning to it. You say, "Oh, this is because of that." Mm-hmm. And I think one of the crazy things about about uh, sort of going through life is that you find that you come back to constellations that you were sure had a certain meaning, mm-hmm. um, and you find a one line of information that totally subverts that yeah. interpretation. Yeah. You know, and you you have to go back and say. Oh wow! You know everything I thought I knew about that was completely off base. But it's really important for you to be able to grow as a human being to do that. To say, oh, this is not you know my assumptions about marriage, for example, are not being useful to me anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or, or um, you know, I mean, I think it's just uh, it's just a wonderful process to go through in life where you when you get the new information, you kind of have to readjust the narrative. Morgan, do you see do you see patterns now? Do you see sort of as you've been able as this as you've gotten through this process with making this film, do you see reoccurring pr- patterns within your family now that are clear to you? And you see, oh, that's about, why instead we instead of asking that question, can I just say, do you keep a clean bedroom in decent order? Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I do what I can. I try not to worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, by the uh, way, I, I but, can't. But I, I, okay. I would just like to say one thing to that to that issue. While I was uh, making this film, 
you know, one of the things like Alice always would say, if you did something that she didn't like or she didn't think was appropriate or said something wrong, she would say, whatever possessed you to do that or to uh, say that. <laughs> yeah. And I remember driving, you know, down to my mom's house to, I don't know, to visit or to talk to her about something and just thinking, wow, you know, I get it. I've been listening to these people, you know, before I was born, saying things that have come out of my mouth. And when those things come out of my mouth, I know exactly who's possessing me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the voice of my ancestors in some yeah. crazy way. Um, so I just wanted to say All right. That. And real quick, I know there, there's one, one shot in the film. and I just the, the Life magazine cover. Was that a cover? Mm-hmm. No. Um, it was just a that, shot. I mean, I, don't ho- I hope I don't get in trouble for that. Uh, this was a um, – what happened was during the war, Charlie worked downtown um, – uh, for the Aviation Authority, and yeah. Alice worked uptown uh, coding messages at LaGuardia. So this is, and, and I think she worked at night, and he worked in the daytime, so they had like a crazy schedule during the war. And this, you know, Al, this is a photo of Albert Eisenstadt, and, and um, he took this of them saying goodbye at Grand Central Station, and it seems like this is this man going off to war or whatever right, it is. Right, right. And they're really just saying, I'll see you later, but they're, you know, madly in love. So they sent this to, um, I guess, to Alice and said, we'd like to run this on the cover. And they said, well, you can't do that because I'm married to somebody else and <laughs> so is Charlie. So <laughs> thank you, but no thanks. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Uh, Must Read After My Death opens this Friday, February 27th at uh, Lemley Sunset 5 in West Los Angeles. And uh, you, Morgan, will be there at a Q&A on Friday and Saturday. And am I right on saying Sunday, yeah. too? That, yeah, that's yeah, I'll excellent. be there Friday. Uh, I, I believe the times are 7 and 5 and 7 on Saturday and 5 and 7 on Sunday. Well, thank you for this wonderful film, Morgan. It's Must Read After My Death. We've been speaking to the director Morgan Dews, thanks for being on Film School. Thanks for talking to me. I'm so, I'm so thrilled to be at Film All School. Right. All right. <laughs> Thank you. To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash Film School.